All right, welcome back to another episode from Fairly Inkwell. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, this 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 is a this is a kind of a multi part thing. Uh, the idea came from watching a, a some sort of YouTube video about aging and how they were. I think it was Answers with Joe Scott. Interesting, uh, interesting one. He he was saying that there was going to be like either. There's going to be a pill with with basically like a viral component to it that stops your aging and potentially even can reverse it, Mm. which scientifically that's, you know, makes sense. So the the story follows this character who this would be an interesting thing. You could actually follow multiple characters, follow one that was under 21, like somebody that was still in their teens faced with the prospect of aging, because I feel like a lot of people when they're that age don't understand what aging really is. <laughs> and then, you know, me in my advanced years, I've come to understand my, you know, flawed ideas of it. And so were I given the option to, uh, to take a pill to, to, that would revert me to my twenties? I mean, yeah, for sure. Why not? That would be great. Uh, unless it, unless it came with a diminished mental capacity, which would be an interesting, uh, side note for that sort of story. So you follow these characters who, you know, they go through their daily lives with this new technology that, that fights aging. And that brings up a whole host of problems, like, especially with the population size that we have now. If we just suddenly had the ability to stop and potentially reverse aging, the, the population would grow significantly faster, like, because there would be no more age related deaths. I, you know, I don't know the numbers on that one, but you could look that up. Um, so as you're following one of these characters, probably, probably the older person, they have a pet guinea pig <laughs> and they give the pill to the guinea pig. So now you've got a guinea pig that can live, outlive its average lifespan by however long. And so then the story then follows whichever, like either the teenager or the older guy, like whichever one would be more interesting. They follow them with their pet and the pet does not age and the person does not age. And at a certain point in the story, 100, 200 years later, the guinea pig starts talking because it has accumulated enough experience that it finally understands the world it lives in. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't have to be a guinea pig, but I I have guinea pigs and I was doing something that uh, involved cleaning their cages or something when I, when this idea came to me. <laughs> and I think it could be, it could be a very weighty piece about uh, the problems that all of that would be bring. I, it could also just be a very funny piece or a very heartwarming piece about, you know, the, the connection between you and your pet. And like, if your pet has no physical problems and you can finally talk to it, like y- you've introduced a moral dilemma now where it's like, well, now you're required to care for it because it's, it's sentient. It doesn't have the capabilities of caring for itself at the level that you do because it's, it's a, you know, it's an animal without thumbs. Like, <laughs> 
It, it can't use tools really. And then too, you could also like teach it things. Maybe you teach it how to sing or something like that. <laughs> so you have a, a singing guinea pig that is 300 years old. <laughs> okay. <laughs> initial thought. My initial thought went directly to planet of the guinea pigs. <laughs> As in Planet of the Apes, but Planet of the Guinea Pigs, where this guinea pig begins a revolution. <laughs> right. Gives, <laughs> like, this, gives this drug, this medicine to the others of its kind. Yes. And uh, and then there's a guinea pig storm. Then there's <laughs> there are just wave after wave of immortal guinea pigs <laughs> take over. Which, you um, know, now that you mention it, uh, I re- what did I watch recently? It wasn't a good movie. Oh, it was. It wasn't bad. The bad guys. I haven't seen that it. animated one. Had hordes of guinea pigs in it. So <laughs> not quite the same thing, but you know. <laughs> oh my gosh, man! So yeah, that's that actually is interesting. So so we we kind of like started off on one way. We, we took a left turn when we started talking about the right. guinea pig, but um, uh, kind of regressing back to humans and following like different humans throughout that story with different characters, different stages of life. Seems very interesting. Um, I think that there are possibly rules, like political rules that you could put in place to limit uh, the exponential growth of population. I mean, of humanity. Yeah, well, kind of in the same way. I mean, China's kind of a testbed for that, right, with their one-child policy mm-hmm. that existed from the 1950s until very yeah, I recently. Think, I think you would have to have very strict controls. It, You'd have to apply for permits to have a child if you mm-hmm. wanted one. Yeah, because after, after like you take away the bio- biological need to reproduce. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, you know, you you might die from an accident at that point, but you're not going to die from organ failure of any kind, mm-hmm. unless yeah. there's something else going on. It is kind of interesting. I mean, would life become? I mean, one of the one of the themes you could explore in something like that is: does life become more valuable or less valuable? lived yeah exactly like do you are you more of a risk taker or less of a risk taker um and then how long do your memories last too because mm. at at a certain point the human brain is not infinite in scope so you are going to start replacing knowledge Mm -hmm. and you know so what is what does that window look like what does that knowledge window look like i don't know because maybe you learned about like something a hundred years ago that you've forgotten now because it's been replaced by new knowledge well, let's, let's also think about just advancement in scientific development. For instance, like what, what we depend on right now is that like scientists, engineers today push that body of knowledge forward a few feet. College students have to learn everything that came before and right. the new few feet of scientific development. Then they get on, then they go on board and they push it a few feet more. Right. But if you skip that having to learn phase and you're just constantly pushing the, the envelope. The have, having to learn phase is trivial now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So – like it becomes that way. Maybe maybe people develop cybernetic memory where you can just swap in and out memory chips. And oh, that's true. Because yeah, you would. Uh, I think you would quickly get cyborgs and and mm-hmm. all of that other stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a pathway towards like extended, uh, meaningful life. I also think that probably this is a very cool story idea. Because there are so many possibilities. With it. I mean, you if you if you think about um, let's say inter, inter 
solar, not intersolar system, but going to another stellar, intergalactic, yeah, inter, maybe interstellar travel is the way to go. I'm not sure what the right word is, but to go from our star to another star, another colonize another solar system, you know, you'd have right now where we would have to have these huge generational shifts. I mean, right. I know that there's science fiction that talks about hypersleep and all this right, other stuff that right. doesn't really exist. So to do it with the technology we have right now, you build a massive ship. People get on the ship. They all have families and babies. They live their full lives. They die. Their right. families and babies live full lives and they die. And then their families and babies are the ones that arrive at the solar system, right? Um, that's the only way we could do it today. But if you had essential you immortality, yeah. you know, you get on a ship and you're like, this ship's my home for the next 120 years. And right. <laughs> then I'm going to colonize that well, star out there. <laughs> and how would you like approaching 120 years of boredom? Mm. Like – yeah, because you'd be, be locked in a ship for 120 years, and that's a very finite space. With the same people. Right. <laughs> it would be a bloodbath. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> it could be. But also, so going back to the cy- cybernetic, like the, the you know augmented part of, you know, if you could augment yourself, you could technically plug yourself into the cloud oh. and have access to infinite memory. Mm-hmm. So at that point, you would, you know, what would that would be really interesting, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're kind of venturing into the territory with the matrix because at that point you would know everything. You could learn anything almost instantly. Mm-hmm. Potentially. It depends on how that technology works. Mm-hmm. Um, because data transfer, while rapid, is never fast. I mean, I, I used to get stuff on CDs and I thought that was so much better than <laughs> floppy disks. Because <laughs> the mm. data transfer rates were so much better, but... Now, CDs, who uses those? Well, <laughs> <laughs> optical drives are out. I know. Um, but you know what? Like, like just in our own lifetimes, the, the, the level of sophistication for, for technology and science has rapidly just ratcheted up, right? And right. when we were kids, you didn't, like, you didn't have the, the sum total of human knowledge at your fingertips, and now we do. Where is that going to take us in the future? What is it going to look like a hundred years from now? What is, I mean, what, what will that technology, I, I think that you are onto something with this. I really think that this is, this could be one of the better story ideas that we've ever talked about. Well, and then too, if you, if you throw into that, like, um, uh, cracking power requirements. So like, uh, if we have a higher density power source, that provides more power output than what we currently understand, you know, maybe a a fusion engine of some kind. Um, Then you open up a lot of other science and you don't even have to go into like really fringe stuff of like hyperspace or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, warp drives or any of that. If you have a power source that can power a planet, but it's the size of a, a football stadium, then you could build a ship the size of a planet I mean, provided you had all of the resources, you'd go for the asteroid belt or whatever, grab all the resources, build a ship the size of a planet, and then it just floats around in space because it has nuclear fusion going on inside Mm. of it. And, you know, it's like, oh, that star looks pretty. Let's drive over there. And it just (laughs) takes a thousand, two thousand years to get there. So, Mm -hmm. but then you've got a playground the size of a planet or, you know, or even a small moon. It depends on the population you put on that ship. And yeah. what are, you know, what are the experiences to be had in those environments? Well, and then too, at that point, death and repopulation becomes so much more important because 
Oh yeah, because if death you is rare. Die of an accident, like you get sucked out into space. That's one person less that can help replace that person. Mm-hmm. Oh, see, that's what I was talking about when it, when it comes to is valuable is life more valuable because of your experiences, your memories, right. your knowledge that you personally contain. I think at that point, though, if you were connected to a computer system and your memories were being stored in the computer system, mm-hmm. your life would be trivial as long as it could be replaced. It depends on which path you want to take down that right. with that story. Yeah. Right. Because you could literally have, you know, like the most valuable scientist in the world mm-hmm. because like their discoveries and their, their creations are incredibly beneficial and helpful. But at, at the same time, if they died... That would be a tragedy, like that would that would probably greatly surpass it being the case today, where we ha- where right. you know your productivity years are what like thirty years maybe out of your whole life, thirty forty years that you really remain productive once mm-hmm. you get out out of your teenage years, out, out of, of college school. or out of school, yeah, and then start working, and then you kind of when you're anytime you start working on something, unless you're just really gifted, then you go through this apprenticeship phase. Mm-hmm. And then like you don't really start to produce excellent results until you have mastered all of that. And then you have like only a period of time before you retire. And let's right. say, let's say a total of 30 years right. of, of real productivity. Um, but you, you take that and you make it 300 years of real productivity. I don't know, man, you could do a lot. Yeah. You do a lot well, and you could master a lot of different skills. I mean, for instance, mm. you and I talk a lot about languages and learning new languages. I mean, you if you had the time, you could master a lot of languages. Again, oh, yeah. I think you would start running into the physical limitations of the human computer. Yeah, I think so too. But it wouldn't it be interesting to explore those limitations as part Absolutely. of the story? Like like would 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 you get to a point where like the brain chemistry just didn't work anymore? Right. Like it was mm. just full. Yeah. Or would it just keep overriding older sectors yeah like and so you really like it's like oh i used to know spanish but i learned you know a different language i learned chinese instead Mm -hmm. and now i know chinese but and and the memory of knowing that that you even knew that like could you even retain the memory that you knew spanish at one point in time Mm -hmm. or would that just fade into the background too they say you don't use it you lose it and that's probably still be the case <laughs> uh, I tell you what, I, I have a story about this. I, I studied Japanese for one semester in college, way back in like 1992, mm-hmm. I think. And then about, I had completely forgotten everything. I just took it in college, didn't really, you know, speak it outside of the classroom at all, completely forgot everything. But a few years later, after college, I went to sleep one night, had a dream in Japanese, woke up the next morning, and remembered everything from that semester. That only lasted for about a couple of weeks. But the information was still in my head, and it right. just took some weird dream to kind of unlock it. That's <laughs> – oh, man. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think it would be fascinating. And then, too, like part of – the other part of the story with the guinea pig, like what I was trying to really get at is if we cured aging mm-hmm. for an animal that was sufficiently complex, what could it learn? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's kind of – asking the same sorts of questions. What are the limitations on that? And it also reminded me too, that a lot of pet owners, you know, they're so distraught with the loss of an animal that they get it cloned. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. that's an interesting concept too, because physically and realistically, it's not the same animal, even though it shares all of the same visual and probably 
quite a few behavioral characteristics, but at the same, it's not the same animal. But if you could cure its aging and it could live, your dog could live for a thousand years, like, is it going to get any smarter? Hmm. Interesting. And I mean, without intervention, I mean, cause you know, if you start, if you start extrapolating out like the man machine interface, well, you know, I've, I've lived for 500 years now. I'm bored. I, what about my dog? I'm going to make that thing smarter. You know, Rick and Morty already did that one. Oh, it was like one of the first episodes. But, I remember that episode. Yeah. That was kind of funny. But uh, you know, th- there's a lot to, there's a lot of substance there that hasn't really truly been touched on. So, yeah, because I think that, you know, well, dogs have, they can understand a certain vocabulary out of American, well, out of any language, I think, right. you know, like it, it is kind of funny when you say, you know, when you adopt a dog and you're like, my dog doesn't speak English, it only speaks Spanish, but that's the truth. You know, right. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> right. if you adopted it from a Spanish speaking household, then it would understand Spanish and not English. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, uh, you know, so dogs can understand language. Uh, I think most, I, well, I don't want to say most, but there are quite a few, Animals that have, you know, humans have maintained like these connections with dogs, cats. Um, I don't know what else to be honest birds. with you. Birds. Yep. Birds. Exactly. That uh, understand speech and speech being our primary method for communicating with each other, communicating, you know, with that animal, maybe only one, one way, you know, uh, where we say something and then they understand us is good. If you say, uh, go for a walk. Well, you know, dogs go nuts. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my dogs. We don't we don't say that to them. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it with the idea that they could expand that vocabulary to be much much larger over time, right. or is it are they limited by essentially the hardware? Yeah, because they, you know, live somewhere between 10 and 20 years, right? Well, and um, just the size of their brain, the complexity that the complexity that it has the capability of because mm-hmm. it's not like you can make the the neurons and all of that any smaller like right. you can't pack more of them in there you have to have a bigger brain to get more complexity mm-hmm. so um oh crap i was just thinking about so one other idea too that occurs that might be a factor like we were talking about the two different characters coming from they're teens versus, I, I mean, somebody that's retired, mm-hmm. like, and they both start on this same regimen of drugs that keep them, you know, maybe it's one pill, maybe it's a, uh, you, you have to continue taking it mm-hmm. in order to stay alive, which that would present a lot of problems too. Um, but at what point does the older person accept that the younger person is on the same level? Because even now in our culture today, if there's a, a gap of between like 20, 10 to 20 years between people, it's noticeable between those two people. But if they've lived for, a, you know, 210 and 220 years, are they still going to act the same way towards each other? Or are they going to say, yeah, you've lived long enough to be my equal? Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. I mean, at what point does the relationship also maybe kind of flip because usually it's a younger person looking to an older person for mentorship. Right. But then the older person, the older you get, the less connected to society you get, the more like introverted and, and staying at home and, and, you know, yeah, that's the tendency that you get. So you, you kind of lose touch with, you know, the latest social media and all modern music. And you stop, (laughs) you stop caring about it. Right. 
So at what point does the relationship flip and the younger person begin to like help guide that older person through society? Right. Even though there's like in that, in that larger time frame, there's only a 10 year, 20 year, even a 50 year difference. You know, as long if you're living a thousand years, 50 years, you know, between two mm-hmm. people, that's, that's not going to be that big of a deal or it mm-hmm. seems like it wouldn't be that big of a deal, but Ooh. humans like to make a big deal out of stupid things. So like maybe. marriage. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Suddenly reevaluating the lifetime commitment. Right. Until death do we part. Wow. Then you're setting up by, you know, there could be like, I think the black market for how to, how to rid yourself of somebody would, would kind of thrive at yeah. that point. Like yeah. becoming a divorce lawyer would be very lucrative. Yeah. You know, everybody would be getting divorced. And everybody would be getting remarried because it wouldn't matter. I think you would have to change the rules on what marriage and all that was because. Well, how many old people, I know quite a few old people in my life that have, you know, talked about their relationship. They're like, well, we've been together for 50 years and I probably only have 10 years left to go. So I'm not getting divorced now. You know, <laughs> right? it's like if you've got been married for 50 years and have a hundred years or 200 years to go, reevaluate that statement right. so that yeah. and if it reverses your aging back into where you were more physically fit like you were mm. on par with your mm-hmm. you know your greatest period of health like it changes a lot of things and it makes like it makes it hard it makes it harder to make decisions in the culture that we know so <laughs> so true because you know you if you had a child at some point that child would be almost as like apparently as old as you are mm-hmm. because again 50 year gap in a in a 100 year lifespan or 300 year lifespan the, the longer it goes the less that gap seems like it's a, a thing yeah so that's the, that's <laughs> the pitch give us a story about one or multiple individuals who are faced with aging cures and if you come up with anything amazing, let us know. Yeah, remember you can reach out to us at fairtheinkwell at outlook dot com, and we'll we'll re- we'll get the email. And so, until next time, thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>